The following message is a teaching by Dr. Jason DeRoshi, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find more information about Jason at www.jasonderoshi.com. All right, brothers. That's right. Our goal in the next three sessions is to walk back through the exact same chapters that we've covered, but look at them from a different perspective. Not look at them from the text itself moving forward, but rather approach them from the rear at how other biblical authors were reading these texts. How were they meeting Jesus there? What type of God were they envisioning and how were they using the portraits that were given in this material to teach their own people at a new age, at a new time? And so what, I've, what I want to do is we're going to break up into three groups and we're going to come back. It's not going to dominate our whole time. What we're going to do is we're going to take 15 minutes Church leaders taking 15 minutes, men who love the Word of God, and in each of the groups you're going to wrestle trying to think of other passages of Scripture that address the topics that I'm going to give you. First group is going to wrestle with Genesis 1-1 and the whole idea, really, yeah, Genesis 1-1 down to the very first three words of verse 3, that God created everything by His Word. There's many scriptures that actually recall that exact reality and they use it in different ways. And so that group, your your group, you're just, as brothers, look at cross-references that you might find in your Bible, you know, the, the little footnotes that are directing you. What other texts are using this kind of text? Look at your study notes. Just think. Think, where do I... Where do I um, find meditations about simply God creating all things. Second group. Light overcoming darkness. How is that motif just carried on? It starts here. This is the first time we see it. How how is it built upon that in the original creation, light overcomes darkness? And then think about how is light portrayed as a darkness overcomer throughout the rest of Scripture? Where would it take you? What texts would it lead you to? Third, God made them in His image. So the third group is going to wrestle with that concept of the image of God and how does the rest of the Bible just take Genesis 1.26, Genesis 1.27, God made them in His likeness, in His image. How, How does it use that concept in the rest of Scripture? Now, every group, I encourage you to be considering, as as you're looking at texts moving ahead into the Bible, don't stop thinking until you've thought about Jesus. Creation, light, image of God, all of them relate to Jesus. So I want you to find the text. You're the church leaders. You're preparing a Bible study in the next 15 minutes in your small groups. 
and you want to help your people track this out. Where would you go? What would you guide them to? And you get to work together with a bunch of other leaders, which is not something you normally get to do when you're preparing your studies week by week. So you've got a bunch of brothers who love the word that you get to brainstorm with. So um, maybe in order to minimize quiet people from remaining quiet, we'll break up into six groups. All right? So just give me your, um, how about we, what would that be? Say we've got 30 people, that would be groups of five. All right. So get into groups of people, get into groups of five, and over here, first group, creation. Second group, light. Third group, image of God. Fourth group, creation. Fifth group, light. Sixth group, image of God. So right here, creation. Just let's get, your, get the five. You can go over here. Thanks, Gary. What? Okay, well, that'll be fine. So then, <laughs> um, so you three brothers and you two make a group of five right there. And you guys will be the light group. All right, the five over here, you three, Brother Rick, Galen, and Bernie, sorry. Why don't you swing over here and come up with uh, one of these groups. Just wait. You are image of God. You will be creation, you three. And we need two people just to hook up with, hook with them, okay? Two people, two people in your group will go right here with these, these three. And you're going to be creation. I need one of you, one of you, after you just introduce yourself, to turn around and go back with these three guys over here. Okay? So, creation, light, and you guys are our image of God. So you're right there with light. All right, brothers, where's our creation groups? Got one here. All right. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Formless, void, spirit hovering, God said. What types of texts came to your mind? Let's uh, just give me a list of them, and I'm going to type them in here. Whoa, I think I've got a little match. This is all from your one group? You rock. Holy cow, there's like 30 verses on here. I can't look at them all. Well, we win. Uh, so, so, so I'm going to give these back to you. You're going to have to, uh, to, to narrow them down for me. So, Brother Rick? Okay. One second. I'm uh, going in order. What was the net one? 
What was the last one? Thank you. Okay, let's stop there. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? You can see God interacting with Job here, and he's, he's calling him to recall something that we can only read about. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know, Job. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what basis? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted? Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. By the breath of His mouth all their host. And, and as the psalmist declares this, what does he want to see happen in the lives of the people? What's he wanting to generate? Worship. Worship. To just pause and ponder. For me, I, mean, my, I, I joked about this. I came in on Sunday early and my wife told me, make sure you take walks. Don't just sit in a room all by yourself. Uh, away from a window looking at a computer screen. So out I went and I took a journey. And one of the problems, uh, when my wife and I take a walk almost every night, and she is always, I mean always, having to tell me, look up, look up. Because I'm just walking like this, you know. I mean, there's just beauty all around me. Great sunsets, birds chirping. And she's like, look up. There's deer out in the field. And I'm just like looking around. So I, I texted her and I say, I told her um, while I was coming around one of the trails, I'm like, I'm looking up. And, but then I told her about all the deer tracks I'd seen too. So, uh, but, but by the word, the word of the Lord, the very word that was commanding and guiding and bringing life to Adam and Eve in the garden, it, had they just listened, that very word was creating the very context in which they could enjoy their life, enjoy the, their um, their food, be moved to, to worship the one from whom all things exist. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and the earth, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, the very God who gives breath to the people on it, the Spirit to those who walk in it, and then He talks. What drove you to 2 Corinthians 5.17? We typed creation and there it was. That, uh, we only gave you the verses. We, 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 what more did you want from us? Yeah. So. Deleting it and deciding no because it was, though the new creation, it was reflected on the original creation and we are the new creation. Okay. We are a new creation. We are a new people. Good. So. But God's still creating. God is still creating. A new creation is at work in this room. And it's still in process of developing and being shaped. And it's in the image of its creator. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Is the new creation identical with the old creation? Similarities. But there's escalation. What? I'm tempted to say yes, because the new creation, man was created, walked with God in the garden with the bones of him. Yes. And all that is restored in the new creation through Christ Jesus. Tell me this. Don't trick me. 
Adam, in his, in his uh, manness prior to the fall, had the potential for eternal judgment. His sin could bring about eternal damnation. And now everyone in him who is not redeemed into the new creation is damned. But there's something different about the new creation. That though you sin, the curse of of the new covenant does not bring your damnation. Any curse is discipline that shapes you into greater likeness. And for those who get redeemed by Jesus, there is something new. And this is what I mean in escalation, that what Jesus does purchases something that can't be broken. Amen. Keep going. Well, that assumes salvation can't be lost. So you're entering into all other categories because that's not where every one of the Christian churches is at. That is true. The, what's at stake is, in my mind, how effective was God at the cross? And did he purchase only a possibility or did he purchase salvation? And who's the decisive mover? That's that's the ultimate question that is at stake. But yes, that does open up a a bigger issue. Um, And I'm proposing that this image bearer succeeded 100% at what he sought to accomplish. That's what I'm proposing. And then this is the text right here that I brought up at the very last night, Romans 4, Revelation 4:11. Worthy are you, O Lord. Yes. My my thought on that always goes back to back to the fact that if God did not totally and completely achieve what He purposed to do when He sent His Son to do what He did then there would be no need. I mean, it would be it would be an empty thought to think that God was not sufficient enough mm-hmm. to take care of that sin problem. Mm-hmm. Especially when you look at John 1, uh, 29. You know, you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin mm-hmm. of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would any of us want to take one of our children mm-hmm and put him on a cross or her on a cross mm-hmm. and have that person, our mm-hmm. family, our flesh die mm-hmm. and not achieve what it was intended for mm-hmm. totally 100%. Mm-hmm. So those are, uh, those are sweet thoughts to my soul, the effectiveness of Christ at what he sought to accomplish. Top group, you guys had lots of verses. Give me some. That's, that's uh, good. One. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, Hebrews one, yeah, Hebrews one, First Corinthians. Keep going. Eight, five through six. Colossians one sixteen through seventeen. Let's stop there. I'm. I know you do. <laughs> Thanks, man. In the beginning was the Word. 
And the Word was with God. The Word was God. You can't separate the speaker, the, the words that are spoken from the, the speaker himself. That John is seeing an intimate uh, connection. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him not, was not anything made that was made. And I mean, John starts out. In the beginning. I mean, that, that's just signal. Where am I going back to? And I'm putting Jesus right into the midst of it. Question on that. Yeah. We, uh, is there some significance to the negative, the way, they, the way that end of the sentence goes? Because it's not... Without him was not anything made that was made. It's not how we'd normally talk, is it? Um... So, I would say, what I understand it saying is that without him, nothing was made. Uh, without him, nothing was made. With him, everything was made. But he's got the double negative. Without him, not anything. And so, um, the framing of the text that way is naturally designed to make us... He, he doesn't want to just stress, in Jesus everything was made. He just said that right here. Now he reinforces through this negative lens, without Jesus was not anything made that was made. So he's saying the same thing, but now he's... he's adding an emphasis that is bound up only in two negative clauses, making a positive. Um. I, mean, um, I don't know if you've ever worked with Jehovah's Witnesses, but they do something with Colossians chapter 116 where they add a little word there. For by him all other things were created. That's the way the New World Translation reads. Because he himself is created. Right. So yeah. He himself, they would argue that he himself was created, and then after he was created, all other things were created. I think John 1 gets at that. It uh, answers that charge. That's very good. Although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God. Now here he's, he's uh, alluding to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, where it says, He is the great God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. So it's in one breath assuming other gods, and by that it's God small g, angels, demons, that's a title that they would use for them. And then he says, yet for us, we don't worship any of them. We worship one God. And then this is so beautiful. There is one God from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord, Jesus Christ. What he's doing is he's bringing in Yahweh in Deuteronomy 10 was the one God and one Lord. He is the great, the mighty, the awesome God God of gods, Lord of lords, all of that is Yahweh. And now he's bringing God and Christ all together. He, he, he's declaring Jesus is God. Yeah. 
in bringing these together. Through whom all things were made. Through whom. So now we see it again. For by Jesus, all things were created. Not just the visible things, but the invisible things, like the principalities and the powers and the rulers of this darkness, dark world. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against them, says Ephesians 6.12. And it's these very powers that he triumphs over at the cross. They were created by Jesus. Through Jesus for Jesus. Why would, why would God create beings that would ultimately go against Him, working evil in the world? Why would He create that? He created them for Jesus, so that Jesus could ultimately, in the end, disarm them and show that He is stronger and better than all. And he, all of these texts, they've got original creation on the mind. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So this is just beautiful poetry overflowing. They will perish, but you remain. So the first creation is, has, a, has a fixed point in time. It's heading toward death. It's heading toward destruction. It'll need to be replaced. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same. Your years will have no end. And at the center of this is Jesus, working new creation, working original creation. So, so many other texts we could go to. Let's go to light. Give me some passages. Second group right here. Light overcoming darkness. Old. I love it. Jump to New Testament John 3, John 1. Oh, out of order. No, I'm kidding. Keep going. I was going to say anal, but that wouldn't be nice. I'm anal. That's good. Yeah, you kind of said anal. It's good. John 8, what? John 8, 12. I'm sorry. Thank you. And? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 6. And then 1 Timothy 6, 16. Let's stop there. Okay. This one is cited at the beginning of Matthew when Jesus kicks off his ministry. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They're in darkness and they've seen light as if they were in chaos and all of a sudden new creation is intruding upon them. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, a light is shown. I love this. Isaiah 49.6, Paul cites it. Acts 26, 22 and 23 this is Jesus, the one who God set up to be a light, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. But in Acts 13, he says, Barnabas and I were set apart for this task. Because we are in the servant, the Christ, this is our role. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back Israel. I will make you a light to the nation so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Jesus comes in as a light. He's the Word from Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. And I propose, potentially, 
The reason God doesn't say, let us create light. Let us, let their, uh, let us make light is because God is light. That's the one element that didn't need to be created because it is the essence of God and that essence, as it's enjoyed, as it's reflected, is the Christ in his eternal existent state. And now he becomes man, yet his essence as light doesn't change. And as he enters in, he's overcoming darkness and bringing with it new creation to overcome the old creation after the light had been returned to darkness. So that's, that's how the curse is portrayed. It's about darkness rolling in upon the world. And that's the world Jesus enters into, a dark world, where the old creation has gone in reverse. And Adam's sin has just brought death and destruction on, and Jesus brings light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world This is the judgment. The light has come, yet people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to come out. They don't want to open up and say, I'm a sinner because we're proud. It's all all of us. It's hard to, to open up like that. And yet the cross is made up of people who are living in the light and saying, yes, I am a sinner and I have a beautiful Savior. Jesus says it just straight out, I am the light of the world. If our gospel is veiled, you preach week after week, and they're not listening. You talk to your relatives that you long to come to faith, and they're not listening. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded unbelievers to keep them from seeing light. What type of light? The light of the good news. The light of the gospel What is the good news about? The glory of Christ, who is the image of God. All of a sudden, that brings together double whammy. Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be glory and honor and eternal dominion, God alone. Second group, with light into the world. Any other text that you would add to this? Uh, Hebrews 1.3. Yes? And you want to go Old Testament or are we done with that? No, keep going. Uh, Micah 7.8 was a good one. Great. And then Isaiah 60 verse 1. And then there's some good ones in, of course, Revelation 21, 22. Yeah, give me, give me something. And 22.5, that's the last reference to Jesus in our Bibles, and we'll see how it's referred to. 1 John 1.7. Let's look at these. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I shall rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I love that text. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. I find it very significant, very significant, that 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 says, the darkness is passing, the light is already shining. The light is already shining, the darkness is passing, but it hasn't all passed. Now, this is highly pastorally significant in that it's the dawn. The dawn has come, and we're living right now in the dawn. 
When I'm sitting in my tree stand, how many of you have been there? You're sitting in the tree stand and you hear something and you're looking all around and it's dark and you know it's probably like the giant mammoth one that you're, you've been dreaming of and, and it's down below you somewhere. All of a sudden, dawn comes and I have the, dawn, the sun is like, it, you can't even see the sun. It's just, it's just morning dawn and all of a sudden I see shadows but it's still stinking too dark to put my crosshairs on it. Have you felt that? And it's painful. What I want you to see is this. If all we had was the light of dawn, it would feel more like night than day. But the sun has risen, and it's the promise that noon is coming that gives us a heightened excitement when that first light comes and we can begin to see the shadow of the buck. And then you found out it was, yeah, but that was, that was while it was still dark. So, um, but, but my point is that in this world, we need to help our people recognize that, yes, Jesus is the light of the world, but it's only dawn. We're expecting more than this. This is not our eternal existence. And because of that, there's still a lot of lingering night that is a lot of problem and a lot of pain, a lot of darkness. But this we can say, the sun is risen. And because the sun has risen, noon is coming. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. Another double whammy here. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. If we walk in the light, this is important, as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So there's a, a life check. All of a sudden, it's thinking about that context of life over, light overcoming darkness and recognizing that if you're walking in the light, you're not living in the shadows. That light changes us. And it's getting that light has power to overcome. And if you're saying, I'm in the light, then your life should reflect it. And this is simply meditating on the truths of the creation week. What does light do? I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb. Oh, man. We're going to take this all the way to my 5 o'clock destination, and I was going to walk through two other events climaxing right here in this temple image. The city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it. Why? Because the glory of God is there. And all of a sudden, we have eyes to see it. We're seeing the sun, and it's sweet, and it's S-O-N that's just beaming out His glory, and there's no shadows. The light is so pervasive that it's, it's no more shadows, no more darkness. The image that's being portrayed here is, is hopeful and beautiful. The night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. I'll just add, I don't remember, I think it's 2216, where Jesus is the last reference to Jesus in, in the book of Revelation, last reference in our Bibles, and it calls Him the bright and morning star. Hopeful. All right. Image of God, group three. Yeah, man. Yeah, all right. So Genesis 
Well, that, that's, that's our text. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. God made them in His image, in His likeness. Then where do we go? Good. Okay. Yes. Colossians one fifteen. Hebrews one three. Philippians two. Stop there. This group. What would you add? So we don't have to go far in Genesis where all of a sudden imageness is showing up again. And it's very, very significant what's going on here. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in his likeness. Then when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. So what, what are the implications regarding trying to get a grasp on what does it mean that God made man in his image? What do you guys come up with? Why, why this text up here? Um, uh, so you got the word likeness in there, which is, I think that might be, I think that might be a different word than image, um, but it's a similar word that word likeness is going to show up. Um, I know the part is throughout Scripture. Likeness is here, and then likeness is here. Same word there. Yeah. And image is here, but both image and likeness are found in Genesis 1.26. So what's the connection here between God made man in his likeness and Adam had a son in his likeness? What would the implications be? What? We're sons. So, okay, okay, so um, if Seth was in the image of his father, Adam, and Adam was made in the likeness of God. Seth was made in the likeness of God. Then Seth was made in the likeness of God. That he, his family tree starts with God. And that's exactly how Luke chapter 3 takes the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. What would be the implications of imageness having a relationship to sonship? But then it's in his fallen state that he gives birth, he, he gives birth to a, another son. So it's, it's not an, an exact equation, right? So in being a son of God, um, are you a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve? Uh, in being a son of God, even Seth, it wasn't the same type of son that Adam was. But did it have the same type of calling? I was... I was telling my group, I, I met my biological father for the first time just three years ago. I'd gone 42 years without, 41 years, without having met him ever. He had seen me for less than 24 hours when I was three weeks old, and that was it. And then he was gone. And I had zero contact until I was 40. Then at 41, I met him. And it was uncanny. Uncanny. 
no nurture, everything nature. And my wife just had to laugh because my biological father and I laughed the same way. We walked the same way. Our noses down. were, what? Looking down? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there, there was something about um, even dispositions, interests in, in hunting, moose being our favorite animals. No Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but there's something about yeah, the, the, the disposition, the activities, the interests that they're, they're paralleling. There's influence, there's connectivity, and it's related to imageness. Um, how about this one? Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed because God made man in his own image. What'd you do with that one? Any of our groups? So, so humans have value, but their value is derivative. It doesn't just come from the fact that they're humans. They would just be creatures if they didn't have something distinct about them, namely a capacity to display the greatness of God. But every human has that. My former pastor used to say, abortion is about God. Ultimately, the value of a person is bound up in their distinctive capacity as a human to reflect and resemble and represent the God who created the world. And you're going in and, and, and cutting it down, dicing it up. How you treat what is created indeed reflects your view of the Creator. And this text, this text pushes that. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you set in place, who am I? What is man that you're mindful of him? There's a, a, a speaker who's roaming the world called Louis Giglio, and one of the things he loves to do is, is help people stand in awe of how small we are. He, he puts these videos together. You can just type in, uh, Google him, and he just loves the Lord, and he's, he portrays all these pictures of outer space, unbelievably massive galaxies far beyond our own Milky Way galaxy, displaying the greatness, just trying to get a sense how big space is. And he's giving us glimpses that, that David didn't even have. David's just sitting in a field on his back, looking up to the stars and saying, Who am I? Who am I that you are mindful of me? And yet He is, He is mindful of us. You've given this person who was created lower than the heavenly beings glory, honor, dominion. This is, this is clearly just echoing Genesis 1, 26 and 27. No one has seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Who's that talking about? No one's seen God, that is God the Father, the only God who's at the Father's side has made Him known. So Jesus can say, if you've seen me, you have seen Him. Why? Because, because I am, Hebrews 1, 
the radiance of His glory. I am the exact imprint of His nature. So what we have is this this great commission, be an image bearer and take my image to the ends of the earth. And yet that commission is given to a bunch of sinners who are struggling over and over again to image God. And yet it's couched in a blessing where God is the one who says, I will make happen for you the very command that I am giving you. I will give what I command. But he will ultimately do it, ultimately, through a single image bearer who will rise above all others perfectly displaying God's greatness. And through Him, I must go unto the Father so that my spirit can come down and you can be partakers of my image. And then that image begins to expand from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the original great commission of of creation is fulfilled through the ultimate image bearer and the image bearers He reduplicates in making sons. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I think I, yeah, right here. The God of this world's blinded their minds to, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be exploited. But he was willing to, to just lay it aside, not his godness, not his crown. Lay aside the intentional public display of who he was. And he took the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. He became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. And now God is highly exalted, the one who displayed him perfectly. And it's in his image, his own likeness that has been declared over us imputed to us, counted toward us. His perfect representation, reflection, representation of God. Resemblance of God. All of that has been counted as ours in spite of us. So, this this kind of reflection, if you were to preach Genesis 1 through 3, to say, okay, I'm going to do what these guys just did. I, I might even have to take more sermons than just this. I might take three sermons to walk through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then I might take two more sermons on Genesis 1, maybe even more than that, because I want to unpack some of this stuff that we've just discovered together. I want our people to be excited about a God who, who's laying out a perspective in these earlier chapters that is then built upon He's he's laying out a problem that is then fixed. And at every stage, as creator, as light, as image bearer, it comes down and focuses ultimately on the person of Christ. Every one of these find their terminus in Him. Exalting Him over all, and through Him, we experience the amazing love of God. So, 501, I've got to stop. I wanted to do so much more, but I'll leave it up to my brothers. Um, I hope this was a helpful exercise. You can reproduce this. And most of it was probably done either by Googling image of God, what texts are there, or it was tracking your footnotes, your uh, cross-references in your Bible. But those are tools that, that God in His mercy has just 
blessed our generation in a way that so many other generations haven't had. And I'll tell you, most of the world that Pastor Tom and I are going to in our overseas ministry, they just don't even have study Bibles. They don't have regular Bibles with any cross-references. Many of them don't even have the text. So just count it as a great privilege. Use your tools and then serve your people, just giving them a glorious, expanding vision of this God. Thank you for listening to this message from the ministry of Dr. Jason DeRoshi, professor of Old Testament and Biblical Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Jason DeRoshi. For more information on Bethlehem College and Seminary, we invite you to visit online at www.bcsmn.edu. For more information on Dr. DeRoshi, visit online at www.jasonderoshi.com. Proclaiming the kingdom and treasuring a God who reigns, saves, and satisfies through covenant for His glory in Christ.